I'm Chad Roberts, and I'm so glad you're joining me today on Awakened to Grace. Well, as most people know, we're in the midst of a crisis in our world today called COVID-19 or the coronavirus. And today we have a sermon entitled Alone with God. And this sermon was actually prayed over and prepared months in advance, months ago. And what a timely sermon it is for so many people are quarantined, so many people are uh, out of work or working from home, schools are closed, and what an opportunity we have to be alone with God. Well, today we're going to talk out of Joshua chapter 5. This is part one of a sermon entitled Alone with God in a series called Triumph. I hope that it speaks greatly into your life, especially in the unprecedented times with which we're living. Well, I want to welcome all of our online audience today. As most everyone is aware, we are in very uncertain times, and uh, most churches like us uh, are being forced to go to a digital platform for right now because we are participating in what our government has asked us to do, and that that is not gather in groups uh, of large, um, if that's 250 or 100 or even 50 or even 10. They got it down to 10 now. And so we want to be respectful of what our government officials are asking us to do. Um, I know that uh, many people in our country right now are frightened. Not only is there the fear of this novel coronavirus, but there's the economic fear as well. And today, before we get into our lesson, before we share um, the scripture that we had planned to share on this Sunday morning, before we do that, I do want us to pray together. And I want you to know, those of you that are watching in your homes today, I want you to know how important it is to me and how special it is to me and our church that you have invited us into your home, whether you're watching on a phone or a tablet or a laptop or a television. We're so thankful that you've invited us today to uh, worship the Lord along with us. And I want us to pray right now that the Lord is going to give tremendous help, uh, not only to our country, but to our leaders, uh, to those who are making very critical decisions right now, to those who are on the front lines, the doctors, the nurses, the medical people that are caring for those who have contracted this virus. I want us to pray for God to forgive our land, for God to forgive our sins and to heal our land. And so if you'll join me, uh, let's pray together and that we're going to see God really help our country and help our people right now as well as the rest of the world. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for this hour that we are living in, even though it is as uncertain as any of us have ever been in any time in our lifetimes. We've never been in a day that feels this uncertain. And while there are so many who are fearful because they don't know what's going to come of their jobs or their income or 
uh, this novel coronavirus. God, what we do know is that you tell us in your word to not fear anything. What we do know is that you are the Prince of Peace. And you are able to give every person watching right now or listening to this sermon, you're able to fill them with a sense of peace. And Father, that's what I ask you for. For those who are questioning or are frightful or fearful in any way, that God, you would share with us your peace and remind us, Lord, that you are indeed sovereign. And that while this has taken the world by surprise, it has not surprised you at all. And you have the answers. And you know what you're doing. You know what you are allowing on the earth right now. And Lord, we look to you to bring grace and to bring help, to bring great compassion upon humanity. All of those around the world who have contracted this virus, those who have lost loved ones due to it, those who are in economic difficulties, perhaps they've lost their job or their job has shut down even temporarily and they're feeling the pain of that. Father, no matter what it is, will you bring great help to us? But Lord, we do not ask for this without first asking for your forgiveness, without first repenting of our great sins in this nation. So God, I pray that you will begin to lead many Americans through your kindness to repentance. I pray, God, that you will help us to reevaluate our lives and reprioritize what has been and what is important to us. For far too many of us, our money, our jobs, our sense of security, our 401ks, our stocks and bonds, those are the things that have brought us peace. And could it be that in this hour, in this time, in this day, you are removing such things to cause us to once again call upon the name of the Lord. So Father, we repent of our arrogance and we repent of our sins and we ask for your forgiveness upon our country, upon our land, upon our people. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So many are asking right now if this COVID-19 is the wrath of God. Well, I think that's a very interesting question. And while I don't think that this coronavirus per se is... Uh, a, a wrath of God upon people, <clears throat> I do think that the Lord is doing what many of us have done with our children. And that's to say, if you want to do things your own way, then I'll back off. I'll let you handle things on your own if that's what you want. I have young children, and I've done that to them many times. I'm willing and able to help them, but they don't want... They don't want the help. They want to figure it out on their own. And I think that is, in many respects, what we're seeing right now. I think that we would be very wise, not only as a country, but as families, 
to spend some time repenting before the Lord and to call on the name of the Lord on behalf of our country, on behalf of our churches, and to once again turn our eyes upon the Lord. Um, in the Old Testament, you have what Bible scholars call the active wrath of God. That's where you can see the active wrath of God and as many, many examples throughout the Old Testament. But in this new covenant that you and I live in, in this new testament, this new covenant of grace, we don't often see the active wrath of God like we did in the old covenant. What we see today, I think in what we're seeing now, is God's passive wrath. And God's passive wrath is God saying, well, I would have intervened, but people aren't praying. I would have stepped in but no one's paying attention to me or my law. And I I don't think you would disagree with this, that the world, and especially our culture in America, we have snubbed our nose at God for far too long. We have kicked Him out of all aspects of our society for far too long. And now I think the Lord is showing us how desperately we need Him. And how, as of right now, there is no cure, there is no vaccine, there is no other option but to call on the name of the Lord. So I invite you to not pray for your country just on Sunday. I invite you to pray every day. And let us, the people of God, the people who know the grace of God, and we know the mercy of God, for we have experienced it in our own lives. Let us lead the way in repentance. Let us lead the way in calling on the name of the Lord and bringing our people back to a place where we're looking to the Lord. Today, if you're listening to this and you're born again and you are part of the church of Jesus Christ. Well, I want to say to you especially, we should lead the way in not being fearful. The church is built for this. It's times like this that the church is the greatest. It's time like this that our light shines the brightest. So for those of you who know the Lord and you know prayer and you know how to pray and you know how to call on God's name, listen, let's lead the way. Let our churches lead the way. As my wife, Sadie, said earlier, we're not a building. So don't think that because we're not gathering right now in a building that the church is ineffective. No, you are the church. I am the church. The church is not a building. Right now, as I speak, I'm speaking to an empty building. But this building is not where God stays. He dwells within our hearts. He lives within our lives. And so you and I have an opportunity of all opportunities. You and I have a a chance because there isn't any of us who've ever seen a pandemic in our lifetime. And you and I have the opportunity to serve the Lord in a very unique way. Check on your neighbors. Check on the elderly. 
Make sure that they have what they need. Volunteer to go to the grocery store for someone in your life who perhaps has a compromised immune system or compromised lungs. Offer to do things for them. Do it in the name of the Lord. Offer to pray for people. You know, people on social media or people in your neighborhood or coworkers who are just panicking right now, who are fearful right now. Memorize scripture that you can share with people who are gripped by fear and say, listen, no, the Lord, the Lord is able to give his peace to us. You and I should live differently than how the world is living right now. You and I should have a different uh, posture about us. We should have a different mindset about us because we trust in the sovereign hand of God. Well, today I want to invite you to turn to Joshua chapter 5. For those of you who follow our ministry, you know that we're, we are in a wonderful series right now called Triumph. And what a timely series this is for what we're seeing happening in the world. It stuns me that from the week of March 8th to the Sunday of March 15th, our world changed dramatically. And, we are con- and we're continuing to see other changes, even leading in to this March 22nd. And things are moving so fast, and there are calamities that are happening all over the globe, not just in our country, but all over the world. And what a unique time this is for Christians to live victoriously. For Christians to rise above the noise, for Christians to rise above the panic, for Christians to rise above the fear and say, no, 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 no. We don't live this way because we know who is in control. We understand that Satan is the God of this world. I think that means that that he has tremendous influence upon society. He has tremendous influence upon culture. But while Satan may be the God of this world, let me tell you who is in absolute sovereign control of absolute everything, and that's God Almighty. The Bible says in the Psalms that the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, and all they that dwell therein. All things are under the sovereign control of God, and that is 100% the reason why you and I don't panic. That's why we're not fearful, because we know who is ultimately in control. We know what we ultimately ought to do. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, I think our country is coming into a season of great humbling. Yet God says, if my people will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, then God says, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. This needs to be the message of Christians. This needs to be our anthem in this time of fear, in this time of panic. Our our anthem needs to be that God calls us to live victorious lives. And how do we do that? 
by living repentant lives, by living lives that are sensitive to the will of God and the word of God. And as we do this, then Christian, you rise above it. You rise above all the fear and all the panic and all the noise. So we've been in this series called Triumph. In week one, we were in Joshua one, and we talked about losing ground already won. We talked about how Israel for 40 years forfeited land that God had already promised them. And for 40 years, they gave up. They forfeited the very promises of God. And then in week two, we looked at a lady named Rahab. We talked about household salvation. We called that message the scarlet thread out of Joshua chapter 2. We saw how Rahab in the Bible was a prostitute and how her story is not just in Joshua 2, not just in Joshua 6, but it's in 2 Peter, it's in Hebrews 11, in the great hall of faith, and it's in Matthew chapter 1, in the tremendous lineage of Jesus Christ himself. Rahab, the prostitute, is in the very family tree of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And you know what that tells me, my friends? Is that if Jesus Christ is not embarrassed to have a prostitute in his family, then you know what? He's not embarrassed to have me. He's not embarrassed to have you. He's not embarrassed by the sins of our past. Jesus wants us in his family. I think that's tremendous. And then last week, we were in Joshua 3 and 4, And we entitled that Crossing Jordan. We talked about how the Jordan represented coming into your promise, coming into your inheritance. We talked about how even though God had promised all of the land, and that included all of their enemies, even though God had made such tremendous promises to Israel, Israel still had to fight. They still had to go to battle. They still had to go to war. The same is true in our lives. Even though God has promised us the victory, even though God has promised the outcome is going to be victorious for believers, you and I still have to go to war. We still have to put on the armor of God, and you and I still have to fight. We still have to stand. We still have to do spiritual warfare. But see, the difference is we don't fight for victory. As Christians, we fight because of victory. We don't fight to get victory. We fight out of victory. And see, our motivation is different. We know that God will not fail in anything that he has promised. And so we fight out of that. Well, we've worked our way through Joshua 1, 2, 3, and 4. Today we come to Joshua chapter 5. Today we're going to come to a very special place called Gilgal. We're going to be at Gilgal before next week when we go to Jericho, where the walls are going to come down. But there are lessons to be learned in Gilgal, and that's what I want to talk to you for a moment about. I want to entitle today, Alone with God. I want to talk about what happened to Joshua when he got alone with God. But before we get there, let's start in the first of chapter 5. If you are new to our ministry, you may not know that I'm actually a blind pastor. 
I lost sight about a year and a half ago in both eyes. And so if you don't, if you watch this weekly, you'll notice I don't have a Bible on my podium. It's because I'm unable to see uh, a, a Bible or a computer or a screen. Uh, I can't see anything. And so all of the scripture I go through, I try to memorize. So if I miss something today, I ask for your forgiveness. So better yet, I ask, will you follow along with us so you don't miss anything? And I'm just going to kind of walk us through some of chapter 5. And we're going to finish at the end by talking about Joshua being alone with God. But there's something very special that I want us to see before we get there. In the first part of chapter 5, we see that Israel crosses over Jordan just fine. If you missed last week, uh, I encourage you to go back and listen. But in case you don't have opportunity, let me just remind you of what an incredible conquest this was of what the Lord did. When the Jordan had overflowed its banks, as it did here at the time of harvest, the Jordan River at this point was up to one mile wide. Now, can you imagine trying to cross a river that is a mile wide? Not only with your your little ones, if you had small children at the time, but You know, each family had their livestock with them. They had their cattle with them. They had their their tents and they had all their belongings. And scholars tell us that at this point in Israel's history, they were up to uh, at least a million people, if not two million people. So let's just split the difference and say, could you imagine crossing a river a mile wide with 1.5 million people trying to cross? It would have been impossible. (coughs) We pointed out last week, and we'll point it out again in today's text. They were within eyeshot of Jericho itself. When they cross over the Jordan, they're now in the plains of Jericho. Had they tried to cross slowly, they would have been sitting ducks for the people of Jericho. Where everyone was watching them to see what the Lord was going to do. And what did God do? Well, God did part the waters. Just as God did for their fathers and their mothers at the Red Sea, God is going to do for this new generation here at the Jordan River. And with what the Bible tells us where the waters parted, this water parted a mile wide, and listen, it parted 20 miles long, so that between one to two million of God's people could pass through on dry ground. Well, when we come to chapter 5, we see that they made it. The whole nation made it just fine over Jordan. And now they're on this side of Canaan. Now they're in this new place, these, the, this new place where they're going to trust the Lord. And, and notice what verse 5 says. Verse 5 says that when all of the kings of the east and All the kings of the Amorites, the kings of the Canaanites, when they all heard how God had dried up the waters for the Israelites, the Bible says their hearts melted and that they had no spirit within them because of the people of Israel. You know, I I can't listen to this scripture and, and not realize that when it comes to my life and when it comes to your life, 
not only is a watching world looking at your life, not only is a lost world watching your life, but listen, this is very important to know. Many of you need to know this. The enemy sees your life. Perhaps some of you have went through a season before where you began to get very serious with God. You got very serious about your faith and you began to grow spiritually like never before. But then all of a sudden came such an attack from the enemy and you thought to yourself, where in the world did this come from? Friends, it's because the enemy sees your life. Some of you right now, your marriage is on the brinks. Right now, your marriage is about to collapse, and your family is about to tear. And I'm telling you, Satan knows your life, and the enemy, he knows what God wants to do and what you desire. And some of you, some some husbands and some wives are trying to get close, and you're trying to save your marriage. You're trying to save your family. But then it just seems like as you try to get close, obstacles begin to come. Who do you think that is, my friend? That's the enemy because he knows your life and he sees what God is trying to do and he sees your heart's desire and he sees that you want to get closer to God, that you want your children to be close to God, that you want your marriage to be rescued and he'll throw everything he can at you because just as the enemies of Israel were watching them, the enemy's watching you and you say, Chad, then what do I do? I'm going to show you in this text what you do. We're going to follow And we're going to see exactly what Israel did. And I'm going to encourage you to do exactly what the people of God in this this chapter did. That's that's how you and I are to respond. So verse 1, the enemy saw what was going on. They, They knew what was happening with the people of God. Well, let's continue on. It's here that the Lord asked Joshua to do something that to me was... Uh, unthinkable. Now, if you think just in, in, in the natural sense, they've come off of this unbelievable miracle of the Jordan River. Its waters being cut off a mile wide and 20 miles long. And all of the nation passed through on dry ground and everyone got through safe. Can you imagine the momentum that the people of God felt? You know how important momentum is. It just would seem to me like God would lead them straight to Jericho. They're already in the plains of Jericho. It just seems to me like you would march straight to Jericho and you would overthrow the city and you would walk in faith. And and why slow down now when the momentum is as strong as it is? See, God don't do things the way we do. His ways are higher than our ways, the Bible says in Isaiah. His thoughts are far above our thoughts. And God asked Joshua to do what to me seems unthinkable. He slows the nation down and he tells Joshua, take flint knives and circumcise every man, including all the warriors. Now think about this. The command of the Lord is to circumcise all the men. Now, the Bible is not going to leave us to wondering. It's going to tell us exactly why. It's because the nation was circumcised coming out of Egypt, but all of those people died in the wilderness. 
These are the sons and the daughters who were born along the way. This was the generation that was born in the wilderness and they had never been circumcised. Now why does God put a premium on circumcision in the Old Covenant? It's not the case today in the New Testament. But in the Old Covenant, this was highly important. And not to get way off into the weeds, but just so you have this biblical knowledge of why this mattered then. Circumcision circumcision was a sign of covenant. Israel was the only people group on the earth with a covenant with the living God. And circumcision was an outward sign upon the body to symbolize the inward change, the inward uh, part that God was doing within the heart. It said to the nation that you're to be a pure people, that you are not to be, that you're not to mingle with pagans, you're not to marry into idolatry, you're to be a pure and a holy people. And circumcision set them apart. Now the Bible says in the New Covenant, Paul says that we are now circumcised in the heart. It's not an issue of the flesh. Of course, we know that the country, the the, the nation of Israel uh, got sideways on this and they put more trust in the outward aspects of being religious than within the heart. And the Bible is very clear. God looks upon the heart. And so it's not an issue for us today because it's not about the outward, it's about the inward. But in this day, with God's people, it was a sign of covenant, and it was the expectation of the Lord. Now let me show you what Joshua could have very easily said. Joshua could have said, now Lord, how can I take all of the men of the nation and do this surgical procedure on them That's going to take them a while to heal. Lord, we could be sitting ducks. All of our enemies know we're in the land. All of our enemies know you parted the waters. We're within eyeshot of Jericho. They're watching us now. We're in the plains of Jericho. What if we do this surgical procedure and then we're sitting ducks? Does that make any sense to you? Why would the Lord say... Do this at this time. Makes no sense. Well, my friends, this is part of where the Lord wants us to walk by faith and not by sight. It took more faith for Israel to trust the Lord and to do what God commanded than to do what at the moment seemed logical and even sensible. And thank God they obeyed the Lord. God said, make for yourselves flint knives. And the next phrase said, Joshua made flint knives. And they circumcised all the men of Israel. They, and the nation became right with God. And listen what the Bible says. The Bible says at this place that the Lord renamed Gilgal. At the place of Gilgal, it said the reproach of Egypt rolled away. Hallelujah. And think of the ramifications of this. Instead of going to war with just simple momentum, friends, momentum would not have been enough. 
not against the mighty walls of Jericho. They didn't need momentum. They needed obedience. They needed holiness. They needed righteousness. They needed God's favor. And because they as a people slowed down, and because they trusted the Lord, and because they were circumcised, as the Lord had commanded, the favor of God was all over them. See, if they had went from Jordan straight to Jericho, yeah, they would have had momentum. See, the reproach of Egypt would have still been on the people. Friends, you and I have to obey the Lord. And there may be times that God tells you to do something, and it may seem absurd to you. It may seem ridiculous to you. But if you know in your heart that that is what God's asking you to do, friends, you would be foolish not to obey the Lord. When I think of When I think of myself, I'm a highly conservative person, highly conservative in every single way. I don't like attention. I don't like things that are uh, sensational. I don't like things that are extreme. And so when I think of this illustration, getting outside my comfort zone, I often think of this story in a church in South Korea, in a very, very large church in South Korea, a lady approached her pastor one day on a Sunday morning. Thousands were going to be at this church. And this woman was very godly and very uh, mature in her faith. She came to her pastor and she said, Pastor, the Lord, I believe, has spoken to me this morning that I am to do cartwheels across the platform, and I don't know what to think about this. Will you pray and see if this is what the Lord wants? Now, I think to myself, if someone came to me and Pastor Bob and Pastor Phil and all of our other pastors and said, you know, if a lady came to us and said, "Uh, God wants me to do cartwheels across your platform this morning, I, I would have a very, very difficult time agreeing to that. But this lady was so mature in her faith, and the pastor knew her well. They began to pray and ask the Lord, is this what you want this morning? And as reluctant as they felt, they sensed the Lord was saying, go for it. And so this woman tucks her shirt in, and (coughs) across the platform she goes, turning cartwheels. Can you imagine how absurd that looked on a Sunday morning, how many people would would even deem it as blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, right? But do you know what happened? A cry came out of the balcony. A man ran to the altar and gave himself to the Lord. And after they were talking to him and found out his story, the man had come to church that day And said, God, if you're real and you are truly calling me to yourself, then let someone do cartwheels across this church today. (laughs) Now, people could argue and say, well, the Lord wouldn't work that way. Whatever. I think the point, at least the point for me, is very clear. Am I willing to do things that in the natural seem absurd? 
but in the realm of faith, it makes perfect sense. How many people judged that woman and even that leadership that after someone became born again, they're probably not looking at it the same today? God will sometimes do things that seem uncomfortable to us, but he has purpose in it. And I think the greatest purpose is to see are we willing to step out and trust the Lord and obey him. Joshua was willing and the people were willing to trust the Lord even though they would have been sitting ducks for the enemy. The Bible says that each man went to his own tent until he had healed. What faith it took to wait on the Lord and to do what God said in that moment that they very easily could have said, God, wait till we conquer Jericho and then we'll do it. No, you have to obey God when God says to obey. The second thing I want to point out to you is that they observed Passover. Now, they're in this new place. They're in this, they're in this new land. And, 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 you know, we've been following this generation of Israelites since February. And we went with them through the rock that Moses struck rather than speaking to. We, we've been with them through the snakes in the wilderness and all the snake bites that they suffered. And we've been through the pillar of fire and the cloud by day and the, and the trumpets that they made. And now we've crossed over Jordan with them. And here in chapter 5, something very special is going to happen for the nation. When they observe Passover, the manna from heaven is going to cease. It's no longer needed. They've, this whole generation has grown up on nothing but manna. This is the only thing that they've known for their entire lives. And now, for the first time, they're going to eat from the land of Canaan. Have you ever wondered why the Bible calls it a land flowing with milk and honey? First of all, I mean, that sounds highly attractive. It really does. A land flowing with milk and honey. Imagine how attractive that sounded if you had grown up in a quite literal, a desert. If the only thing you had ever tasted, the only thing you had ever known was manna from heaven, this this bread from heaven that the Bible calls angel food, even though... I'm sure it was delightful. You eat anything for a long enough time and you get tired of it. (coughs) Imagine what it meant to the people to be in a land flowing with milk and honey. Well, what does that mean? Well, obviously the milk represents the livestock. It represents all of the cattle and all the livestock that was in this land. You You don't have that in a wilderness. And the honey represents... The agriculture, it represents the bees and the pollination and all the vegetation and all the agriculture that was in this land. And so here in chapter 5 is a tremendous, a, a wonderful transition. The reproach of Egypt has now rolled away. The manna has now ceased. And now for the first time they are eating of the land flowing with milk and honey. And they're eating out of the produce of Canaan. What a special thing that was. And now lastly today, I want to share with you what happened with Joshua at the end of this chapter. Joshua finds himself alone. 
You know, being alone at times can feel like a scary thought, but when you bring the Lord into the equation, it's actually quite a thrilling thing to be alone with the Lord. Perhaps you're watching or listening today, and you've never really taken time where you yourself are alone with God. Friends, there's nothing better you can do. Perhaps you're watching this and you're being forced to work from home. Or you're watching this and you're unemployed right now because your job or your restaurant or your place of employment has shut down amid all of this fear of COVID-19. Perhaps right now you're quarantined inside your own home or in a hospital room. Friends, there's no greater time than right now to get alone with God. And I want you to watch what happened to Joshua. Joshua was in the plains of Jericho, and the Bible says that Joshua looked out upon the city of Jericho. And Joshua saw a man with his sword drawn. Now, scholars call these times in the Old Testament, these were pre-incarnate moments of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see the Lord visiting Abraham as a stranger, as a pilgrim that shared a friendly meal with Abraham and gave him instruction. We see the Lord wrestling with Jacob throughout the night to position him to a place where he will submit himself. We see later in the Old Testament, we see the Lord in the furnace and the fiery flames with the three Hebrew children. And here we see the Lord himself, Jesus Christ, standing before Joshua as Joshua is about to go to war. Well, Joshua doesn't know who this is. And I think it's notable to see his courage in this chapter. Joshua approaches the man and says, Are you for our adversaries or are you with us? You know, I think that says a lot to Joshua's character right there. There was no in-between for Joshua. Either you were a friend or you were a foe. Either you are on his side or you're on the enemy's side. Would to God that Christians would once again have that kind of attitude. Too many Christians have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. Whereas we would do well to understand that the Bible teaches in the book of James, friendship with the world is enmity with God. The Bible says, how can two walk together except they be agreed? What fellowship does light have with darkness? And what would it be if the church would return back to this attitude, either you are on God's side or not? Either we are a friend of the world or we are a friend of God. There is no in-between. And when Joshua met Jesus this day in front of Jericho, he made it very clear, are you with us or are you against us? And I would love to see more of that attitude come into the church where either we are in the world or we are out of the world. The Bible says, yes, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. Either you're for the world or you're for God. 
What friendship, what fellowship does light have with darkness? Well, Joshua asked this man who he was. And the man responded and said, I'm the captain. I'm the Lord. I'm the captain of the host of the armies of heaven. And when he said this, the most remarkable thing happened. Joshua fell down and worshiped. Isn't that something? Makes me think when John, the great apostle, saw Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation, he fell as a dead man and worshiped him. So Joshua falls before the Lord and he worships him. And Joshua says, what would my Lord say to his servant? Watch Mani, that great Chinese pastor of Years back, Watchman Nee said something very strong. He said, it is when we take our place as servants that the Lord takes his place as Lord and master. Do you have that attitude about you today? Are you in a place where you tell the Lord, I'm your servant? Or is God more of a genie in a bottle for you? If you quote the right verse or you pray the right prayer, or you do something that either pleases God or makes God feel sorry for you, that God will give you what you want. No, no, don't be that way, my friends. Prayer is not to get my will done. Prayer is to get God's will done. And when we come to a place where we humble ourselves as a servant and say, what would you say to me, my Lord? Then that's when God can truly speak to us. And listen to what, what the Lord told Joshua. This is amazing. Now remember, he's alone with God. Your greatest moments with the Lord will come when you're alone with him. So this time that perhaps you're stuck in your homes, take full advantage. Turn the tablet off. Turn the TV off. Shut the internet down. Get alone with God. That's when God will really speak to us. It's been well said, no one should face the day until they first have faced the Lord in the mornings. Get alone with God. And so the Lord tells Joshua something that in my view, <coughs> excuse me, the Lord tells Joshua something that in my view is quite remarkable. The Lord says to Joshua, remove your sandals for this place is holy ground. What made that place holy ground? Now remember where he is. He's on pagan ground. He's in the plains of Jericho. He is an eye shot within the city walls of Jericho. What made it holy ground? It's the fact that Jesus Christ himself was standing there. You know how much hope this gives me, my friend? It tells me that no matter where I am in life. If the Lord is with me, it's holy ground. See, many of you know my story and so many of you know that I'm facing blindness right now and how my life has completely changed since I became blind. I say completely, but I'm still doing all the other things I used to do, minus driving, of course. I don't, I don't drive anymore. I keep telling Sadie if she'd get me a pull stick that was long enough, I could feel my way and still drive, but she won't let me. But I'm still 
going on. I mean, I'm, I'm still doing all of my job and all the things and playing with my children and enjoying my family. I'm still doing everything that I used to do. But, but nonetheless, many things have changed. And while there are times and there are days that discouragement would try to grip me or depression would try to grab hold of me, you don't know what it means for me in this passage in Joshua, for Joshua to be in a pagan land, for Joshua to be literally steps away from the battlefield, but for the Lord to say, take off your shoes, for this is holy ground. And what it says to me in my life is if I'm in a place where the Lord wants me, if I'm in a place that is pleasing to him and I'm in the will of God, then for me, that is holy ground. And I can be happy and I can be content and I can be satisfied and I can be joyful because I am standing literally on holy ground. Hallelujah. And you may be in the trial of your life. You may be stuck in a job that you have despised and you've hated. You may work for someone who is so hard to get along with. Or you may lead a group of people that are so difficult. And you may dread going to work every day. But no, let me tell you, my friend, if God is with you, then you're on holy ground. And you can be there in confidence. Perhaps you're fearful right now and you're quarantined and you're stuck at home and you're fretful and you're wondering what you're doing. No, my friend, if God is with you, then you are on holy ground. And if you will get alone with God, then you'll say, God, show me in this hour. Show me this day. Show me what you want. Show me what you're doing. Because I'm your servant and you are my Lord. You will be amazed at what the Lord shares with you. Friends, he's so eager to work. He's so eager to speak. He's so eager to show himself strong in your life. God is eager for these things. The question is this. Are you eager? Am I eager? Are we eager to seek the Lord? Powerful things will happen in your life when you get alone with God. So Joshua removes his shoes. He worships the Lord, and that's where the chapter closes. But I don't think that's where the story ends. I think this is where God gave Joshua the full battle plan. And why could Joshua be so trusted? Well, for just a second, let's recap. Joshua chapter 1, when the Lord told Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. You're going to lead my people. You're going to cross over Jordan. Well, Joshua could be so trusted that Joshua told the people, in three days, we're getting ready. Let's cross over. Joshua chapter 2, the report comes back from Jericho, and Joshua says, we're going to at once take the land. Joshua chapter 3 and 4, they come to the brink of the Jordan waters, And Joshua tells the people, watch the wondrous works which God will perform before you on this day. And Joshua commands the people, consecrate yourself, for God's going to do wondrous works. They cross the river on dry ground, all of them, one mile wide, 20 miles long. And then just when you would think time to go to war, no, Joshua shows yet again 
how well he can be trusted. For God said, make flint knives and circumcise the people. And they slow down and they do this surgical procedure and they wait for the men to heal while trusting the Lord. Then they observe Passover and then the manna ceases and now they're eating from the produce of the land and now they're ready to go to war. Friends, do you see how much preparation it took to get to the walls of Jericho? Do you see how much faith it took? Do you see how much obedience it took? Well, in my life, facing blindness, it's as though I'm staring up at the walls of Jericho. And many of you are facing many tall walls of Jericho. But here's my question to you, my friend. Here's the question to me. Are we just waiting for the walls to fall? Or can you and I look back and say, I trusted the Lord here. I obeyed the Lord here. I did what the Lord wanted here. I slowed down here. I I met with the Lord here. I was alone with God here. You see my point? Can you and I go back and see a pattern of faith, trust, patience, and obedience before we come to the walls of Jericho. You know, I'll just be very honest with you. Before the walls fall in my life, I don't want to miss Gilgal. Before God does the extraordinary work that I believe God wants to do in my life and my ministry, I don't want to miss being alone with Jesus Christ. I want to learn these lessons so that I'll be the man of God, so that I'll be the husband to Sadie, so that I'll be the father to my children, so that I'll be the pastor to my church, so that I'll be the friend to my friends, so that I'll be the godly example that God wants me to be. Are you willing to go through Gilgal? Are you willing to get alone with God before you come to your walls of Jericho? Don't despise times that God slows you down. Don't despise times that God, though it would seem, takes away momentum out of your life. Don't be alarmed. Don't be afraid. Don't be scared at times that God puts you alone with him. For it's there that you'll have the sweetest fellowship with the Lord. They're going to come and play right now, and I'm going to ask you to pray with me. And I'm going to pray with you. And we're going to ask the Lord to help us in a great way. If you're in a time of quarantine, if you're in a time that you're alone, if you're in a time right now that you are needing someone to pray with you, I want to encourage you to reach out to us. You can send us emails at pcckingsport at gmail.com. You can contact us through our website, preachingchristchurch.com. You can keep up with all of our content through our free mobile app, Awakened to Grace. You can read great blogs and articles and other content at awakenedtograce.com. Or you can reach out to us through social media, through our channels on social media. I want to encourage you to consume 
as much godly content as you can. I understand that most people in their homes are going to be binge-watching Netflix and Hulu and all this other stuff, Disney and all this stuff. Friends, uh, I can't encourage you enough. Listen to sermons daily. Read the Bible daily. Listen to the Bible daily. Get alone with God daily. And as you do these things on a daily basis, it's going to be like going to the gym daily. You're going to get stronger, and you're going to get stronger, and you're going to get stronger. And your faith is going to continue to grow. Stop. Is anyone in here? Were you not going to play, Eric? Oh, yeah, I thought we said yes. I thought we said that's fine. Uh-oh. Yeah. Well, I didn't pray with people. So what do I need to do? Well, let me just pray and then you guys can decide from there. Ah, was I looking wrong? Oh, okay. Okay. So am I looking fine right now? Sadie, am I looking fine? (laughs) All right, let me pray. Lord, I want to pray for all of the people that are watching this or listening to this. Lord, I want to pray for those who are anxious right now, that God, you will calm them. Those who are fearful right now because they don't know how they're going to pay rent or they don't know how they're going to get groceries. Lord, I pray that you will be a great provider for them. Lord, I want to pray for those who either have loved ones around the country who has contracted this virus, perhaps they've even lost someone Lord, I pray that you will give peace to their hearts. And God, while we don't know what tomorrow holds and we don't know what next week holds, and while it feels like our world is changing by the hour, remind us, Heavenly Father, you don't change. You're constant. You're the same. You're consistent. And not only are you constant, but you've loved us with the same kind of consistency. You love us with an everlasting love. So God, I pray that you care for your people in this hour. And those who don't truly know you, may they come to know you. And may all of us repent from our sins that you may indeed come and heal our land in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.